0: okay here we go question how many of you have one of these a lot of hands go up at least several of you are putting up five hands you seem to own every color um in nearly six years there have been over a hundred million ipods sold that's just the ipod that doesn't count other mp3 players or other uh you know all sorts of things um and while some people may be buying it because thanks to the work of Steve and others you can download this class on uh uh podcasts. Alright, well truly nobody's bought it for that reason. But uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much, with one exception, well and mom. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but for that, most people are downloading music. Now How many of you like music? Okay, good bit of you. Um, Why do we like music? Makes our souls sing. That's a good answer. Why do we like music? What is it about music? It's fundamental. If it were just the lyrics, then we wouldn't be listening to music. We'd be reading it. But, how many Sunday mornings does Dick get up there and lead us in reading a song? Not very often, so there's something about and 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 there's a difference between good music and bad music isn 't there I mean we've got good music, and we've and then, yeah we 've got the eagles uh, we've got um. You know, what What makes the music good music? What makes the music bad music? When I was growing up, my dad, there were certain songs we were not allowed to listen to. Either because uh, he didn't want to hear them. Or because uh, they had lyrics that didn't seem appropriate in our house. You know, we babysit what some of our children listen to, at least at, at certain ages. We babysit what we listen to. I try to be careful about what music I hear. Because it, it has effects. And it has effects not just on the mind, it has effects on the soul. Doesn't it? So, I decided to do a little research. I decided to look up scientists because there are neuroscientists who actually try to study. You know, we live in a day now where they can lay you down in a bed and hook up these electrodes and see what part of your brain is answering. Where we have the scientific method so they can sit down and do these experiments and figure out what is it about this music that's doing something to you. They can take blood levels and hormone levels and see what different types of music are affecting The the secretion by your body of different hormones. It's amazing what science has put out. It's amazing because what science has revealed about the brain and the effects that music has on the brain is pretty significant. It's pretty significant. Music affects your memories. You can hear a song. And it will transport you back to a Polaroid moment where the colors are vivid. Where you can remember the smells. You can remember how you felt. That's some of the fun of having a song. Becky and I only went out twice in high school. But we had a class together. And in that class, there was a song that came out that we both made great fun of of it was by the floaters it was called float on float on by the floaters if you heard the song you would make fun of it too i had totally forgotten the fun we made of that song probably just on one class day until 20 years later when on an anniversary Becky wakes me up with a CD playing Float On by The Floaters. (laughs) And before the words started, before there was any melody, just with the intro of that song, as I'm coming out of my deep sleep, I know exactly what it is. I start laughing hysterically. And I got to tell you, I had probably not thought of that song since that day in high school we'd made fun of it. But it took me right back. And I can remember where we were standing in Coronado High School in 1977 when we made fun of that song. It not only affects your memories, it affects your emotions. Until scientists were able to do a lot of these experiments, scientists thought the music you listen to is a reflection of the mood you're in. If you're in a sad mood, you put on sad music. If you're in a happy mood, you sing a happy song. And that can be true. But scientists have learned that something more profound happens. They've learned that the music you listen to will change the mood you're in. And if you listen to a sad song, it can put you in a melancholy or sad mood. If you listen to something that's exciting and a happy song that brings joy, it truly will bring joy to your heart. Music affects your emotions. Music affects your mood. Music affects the chemistry in your brain. And different music affects it differently. And there are lots of studies on this. I've cited a couple of them in the paper, but you can certainly find tons more. It's not hard. Now, does it surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. I doubt it does you. That God, if he's made music and he's made us where it has these effects on us, does it surprise you that God uses music in our lives and in our relationship with him and with each other? Of course not. It's only understandable that he would. You would expect him to. And he does. How old is music? Well, just if we look at it biblically, from a biblical perspective, you can go back to Genesis 4.21, pre-Noah, where it talks about Jubal, who was the, quote, father of all who play the harp and lyre so the, the 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 scriptures themselves say that music as a concept and, and and the playing of music and 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 all that that means it goes back as far as, as, as man himself. Um, if we look at music and this is church history here, but to get church history, this is our warm-up class today. Okay, Today, we've got to look at it biblically. We'll look at a little early church stuff, but we've got to get in the flow of the Bible to understand the foundation of the church. As I've written through this class, it looks like it's taking three weeks instead of two. So this week, we're going to start with the Bible. If we're starting with the Bible, let's start with the Old Testament and look at music in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, music is used in tons of different ways. Music is used to worship God. Music is used, and by music here, I'm talking about singing, but I'm also talking about the playing of instruments. It's used in worship for of God in a temple sense, in the corporate sense of the the people coming together. It's also used in private worship of God, in families, in one-on-one relationship and worship with God. We see that in the Psalms. We see that in a number of different places. Music is used in the military. When God has the Jews march around Jericho, before the walls come down, what do they do? Ba-ba! They blow the horns. Y'all come on in. It's okay. We're family. Just don't like come in and walk all the way to the back and leave. That would be bad. You're welcome to come in. Military. We've got military uses of music in the Old Testament. We've got in the Old Testament just the joy of life. David's wife gets very upset because David leads the people in music and dancing. He's dancing in the streets to music because he's so excited with the joy that God has put in his life it's not we don 't find music just there. We find an interesting story of of music where David plays his harp for Saul, and it 's interesting because when David plays his harp it, it it causes the the demons or the the evil spirits or, the, or the, the the whatever had a hold on Saul, it causes it to leave, and Saul finds a measure of peace that 's interesting to me, not just because of the effect that music is having on Saul but it's interesting to me because the Jews realized it see Saul's handlers sent for someone to do that because they knew that music might soothe the savage beast okay so so this is what we've got now we've got uh, i we could spend weeks talking about music in the old testament but we've just Don't have the time. That's not what this class is about. I do want to tell you, though, what about instruments? There are Old Testament instruments we know what are. There are many Old Testament instruments that we're not all that sure about. We can tell as we translate that it's an instrument, but we have not been able to to match it up archaeologically with what instrument it might be. But the Jews in the, in the Old Testament, we see uh, uh, lots of string instruments. They're called harps in our translations, but they're not our kind of harps like Lawrence Welk. Okay. They're, they're called lyres, not like lawyers, like L-Y-R-E. Oh, you thought I said lyres. No, I meant lawyers. Where I come from Lubbock, it sounds like liar. You, I got I got to go hire me a lawyer. Okay. I was not dissing my own occupation. You got liars, L-Y-R-E. Uh, that's this first picture here on the left. That's a, a liar. Uh, actually, sort of all three of these are. It's where uh, you've got Two arms that go up and the strings come down from a rod across the top and tie onto a box, a sound box at the bottom that makes sound. That's typically a lyre. Some of them are tin-stringed lyres, it's called in in parts of the Old Testament. They had those. You had lutes, which uh, they weren't real lutes in the sense that we think of lutes, but they were a longer stringed instrument that's translated as a lute. Uh, In addition to stringed instruments, there were uh, uh, instruments that you would blow. You had a chauffeur horn, and I brought one. This is a real one. It stinks if you try to smell it, because this is like off of an animal. And if you've got enough lung power to blow this, you can make noise. Kids... Yeah, I don't have enough lung power to do it. But y'all are welcome to come up and try after class. Um, I, Lewis thought I got that off my car. It's a different kind of horn, Lewis. Um, the, the, they, they had to read pipes like a flute. Is the way we translate it now. It wasn't our flutes, but they were read pipes that were played almost more. They had like recorders also that were played. They had trumpets. What's translated trumpets? It's more just the straight ba 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 horn that they would do. So they have stringed instruments in the Old Testament. We read about um wind or or our or horn instruments in the Old Testament. And then we read about percussive instruments. Percussion. They have tambourines, they have cymbals, they have castanets. All of these instruments are in the Old Testament and more. So in the Old Testament, we have the use of music in many different ways and forms and times. We have many different instruments. Also in the Old Testament, we'll read many different kinds of songs. It's real interesting. If you, if you go to the Old Testament, you'll see uh, uh, in, in the Exodus when Pharaoh finally lets the people go and they cross the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh and his army are wiped out. Moses and Aaron break out into song. And then Miriam, the prophetess, their sister, she starts singing and leading all the other ladies with her tambourine. So we have Moses and Aaron, no mention of instruments in their singing. With Miriam, we do understand she had that. We don't know what that song sounded like. But they're out there singing to God. We can read the book of Psalms. Psalms comes from the Greek word for a song. The psalms are songs. David was a songwriter. David sang to his sheep. David sang to the king. And David sang to the king of kings. David David wrote many of our psalms. Not all of them, but many of them. And it's interesting, you can go to the psalms themselves and learn something about them. If we look at Psalm 4. For an example, if you look at Psalm 4, in most English Bibles under Psalm 4, you'll read the following. For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Those are instructions that were not on the original psalm. When David wrote Psalm 4, he didn't start out by saying, for the director of music. With wind... In, no, no, no. won't sound good with wind. Stringed. Yeah, with stringed instruments. A Psalm of David. That was a title. That was added later. Okay? But it was still added awfully early because it's in all of our Hebrew transcripts, manuscripts. It was added very early. But if you'll notice when Psalm 40... Verse 1 starts with, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. That's because that earlier part is not in the original psalm. That's why you don't have verse 1 starting there. It's just a title. But it tells you about the song being sung. And it was for the director of music to know to put that with stringed instruments. Or you could flip to the next psalm, Psalm 5. That's for flutes. Another psalm of David. But the psalm itself starts with, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. Now, if you read through these further, go back to Psalm 4 for a minute. You read Psalm 4, down in verse 4, you're going to read the following. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. See law. See law? What's law? Why do I want to see it? Sila, Scholars don't translate that word. Do you know why? Because they don't really know what it means. They believe it comes from the Hebrew word for lift up. But they don't know if that means that it's a musical interlude where you, you lift up the musical instruments and you play a little music or is that a crescendo point where the singers lift up their voice. And that's a singing instruction. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know it's a musical instruction for singing the Psalms as they were written. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, you've got to remember in the New Testament, Jesus, his apostles, his disciples, and even the early church, they're living under the influence of the Old Testament. And it's the Old Testament that Paul writes to Timothy is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching and for training and righteousness. That he'd be fully equipped for every good work. You know, when when Jesus and his apostles, after his death, his apostles, but even before his death, when Jesus and his apostles would go into the temple to worship, they're worshiping with the temple. And all of the temple music and, and all that's being done. In the New Testament, we find lots of references to music, but not nearly as much as in the Old Testament. In some reasons because it's a different type of writings. It's not it doesn't cover a few thousand years of history. It covers a very brief span. But in the New Testament we'll read about flutes that are being played at times of mourning, not like wake up with a flute, but mourning as in I'm sad. When uh uh the girl is dead and Jesus has been called and Jesus is going to go in and raise her from the dead. Jesus tells the flute players, Stop playing the flute. She isn't dead, she's just asleep. See, the flute players are there playing in mourning. Um, Jesus uh is is trying to explain the, the the dissonance between who he is and and who he's expected to be by the Jews. And he says, Look. It's like children playing in the marketplace with little flutes, and they're upset because some people won't dance. And then they're upset because other people will. So John the Baptist comes and, and, and play the pipes and won't dance and, and, and mourn for you and you won't cry and all of this. You know, there were children that would sit around in the marketplace and play flutes. Um, if you read through the Old Testament, uh, Okay, does anybody get this visual? Anybody want to guess? Symbols. My label says, got love. 1 Corinthians, thank you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if I were to speak with tongues of angels and men, if I could speak in any language, any human language, any divine language, if I had incredible language ability, but I didn't have love behind my words... I'm about as useful as a clanging cymbal. Which can make wonderful noise. But it doesn't communicate much to the mind. And that's as Paul's explaining how important love is. And he uses this. Um, We read uh, other examples in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about instruments. There are tons of, uh, not tons, but there are multiple occurrences in the Bible of this. You can see in the Matthew and Mark accounts of the Lord's Supper. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is after the Lord's Supper has been done now scholars will tell us that what they probably saying is psalm 113 through psalm 118 that's called the egyptian hallel hallel is that a foreign word to you yes even if you know what it means because it's a hebrew word hallel means praise okay um, if i want to tell you to praise if i want to give you an order praise do you know how I'd say it in Hebrew? I'd say hallelujah. Actually, hallelujah. Yah is short for Yahweh. Hallelujah means you praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Same thing. And hallel is just that root word for Praise. And there are certain psalms that are called praise psalms. Psalm 113 through 118 were written to be read together. They're called the Egyptian Hallel. See if you can guess why. Starts out, praise the Lord. Psalm 113 starts that way. Praise the Lord. Here, we can do it. Uh, Elmo is three digits? Seven. Elmo is seven. Let's see. Stole Lewis's Bible, which makes me want to write in it. (laughs) Give me that Sharpie. Um, Praise the Lord. See that? Starts out. Praise the Lord. What's the Hebrew for that? Hallelujah. Yah is the abbreviation for Yahweh. Lord. Hallelujah is the instruction to praise. He's got a footnote Q here. Look down at his footnote Q. Hallelujah. They don't tell you exactly what's going on there, but they at least give it to you. That's praise the Lord. And you praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised. You see why this is called a praise psalm? Okay? And it continues. With Psalm 114, when Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked, whoops, the sea looked and fled. You remember that from the Cecil B. DeMille's movie, Ten Commandments? It parted. The Jordan turned back. That happened as well. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled, O Jordan, that you turned back, you mountains that you skipped like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of waters, also on the Exodus. You see, the Passover was put in place as the, 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 the event to remember God's delivery From Egypt and from bondage. It for us in Christ. Is the deliverance of us. From bondage to sin. Into the promised land of God. As we pass through the waters of baptism. We have wonderful pictures that allegorize and show. What God had foreshadowed. Thousands of years ago. And so Jesus is there at the Lord's Supper, and they read, they sing through this Psalm. I'm going back to the computer. Did we say that was six? Okay. Now, what did it sound like? Well, we don't know exactly, but actually, on this, we have a decent idea. Because scholars have been able to go back and find the Hebrew chants that are still being chanted and compare them with the chants of the Orthodox Church and compare them to the Arab chants that would have deviated back in the five or 600s with the rise of Islam. And they've been able to put together a pretty good feel for what a chant or a song would have sounded like based on Scripture at the time. Now, I was not able to get a good recording of a Hallel Psalm, but I have a decent recording out of Genesis. Of what it should have sounded like according to scholars, would you play the the first to give us a flavor for what this sounds like? <laughs> That's good, that gives us a flavor. And and, and that is the sound, if you will, of what it likely sounded like. Now that was Hebrew being chanted or sung. But it was Hebrew out of Genesis 24, I believe, as opposed to Hebrew out of the Psalms. And uh, this is what they did. New Testament songs. We have a number of songs in the New Testament. Uh, some scholars readily agree are songs. Other scholars say, eh, that may be a song. It may just be good poetry. But almost all poetry in the Hebrew mindset was chanted or sung. And so the word, even the Greek word that, that's translated say can be translated sing, though rarely does it mean that. But it can mean that, that the leo is the, the word. Um, so, for example, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest. Because Mary's about to have the child as the angels come. And and that becomes a Christian hymn in later time as well, one that even we sing. The Magnificat, Mary's song, is the way it's usually written in a title uh, by our our translators. But Mary's song, it's called the Magnificat because in Latin, the first word in the Latin version of the Bible is Magnificat, which is to magnify. That's my soul magnifies God. It's the way she starts out. My spirit exalts in God my Savior, for he has looked upon me in kindness. And we have the Song of Mary. Um, Scholars generally say that Ephesians 5.14, Paul is quoting a song that was sung or chanted by the people. When he said, that's why it is said, you know, in the song, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If you look at the book of Revelation you'll find an incredible array of references, not just to musical instruments. Uh, the, the 24 elders in Revelation 5 have the kitharas, which are large harps-like things, lyres like that, that they lay down as they proclaim Jesus. Um, you'll find they blow in trumpets when they're opening seals. You'll find the, the angels praising God with a new song, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, if we think about what this sounded like, and you've heard one example of what it likely sounded like when Jesus and his apostles sang after the Lord's Supper, the sound, you need to be thinking, by and large, chant. That's our word for it. It wasn't really the kind of singing that we're used to. It's what we in Western civilization would more likely call a chant. There was not real harmony at the time. There would be occasionally musical instruments that would play like a, a lyre, but it would not be a harmonic play that much. It's not like a guitar where they're just sitting there ripping through the chords or something. It'd be it'd be like single notes. And I've got an example of that in a minute. No real harmony for a long time. In fact, an interesting point. uh, If you got to hear Pastor David's message this morning, which was incredible, and he was talking about the Ephesian church and how God had brought diversity together in unity. Just 50 years after Paul wrote that, an apostolic father who's on his way to be martyred is writing to the Ephesian church. And he says to the Ephesian church, you know, look at the wondrous things God's done in your midst. He's got you all singing together in Jesus, in unity. And it's the same point in, in a different illustration, that they didn't sing in harmony. They all sang together in unity. And, and, and that was used as a basis of the idea that even though we're diverse people, we all come together as one before Jesus. And in Jesus. Um, there would be what's called antiphony, That goes back even into the Old Testament. Psalm 118 is a good example of that. Antiphony is where you. Uh, um, where the the chanter would be up chanting. And the people would answer back. With another chant. And y'all would all sing together. So it would be like. Um, Psalm 118 is a good showing of it. The The chief singer would sing. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the congregation would answer in song, His love endures forever. And then the chief priest, or not chief priest, the chief singer would sing again, Let Israel Say. And then everybody would echo back, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. You see? And that was done uh, uh, as well, even outside of of Jerusalem. It was done in in the church as well. Early church music. The, the contemporary sound of the church music uh, uh, is, is one that we're actually able to get a good feel for. I've put up here a, a tombstone, for lack of a better word, a steel, S-T-E-L-E. But it is uh, uh, one that's found in the area of Turkey, uh, uh, in, in Turkey. And it, it actually has in it a song That's got the early notations in Greek of how it is to be sung. It actually gives us a bit of the melody of this song. And scholars have been able to go back and reproduce this song. Is it precisely what it would have been? No. But it's close enough to where you can say, Gee, that's the Eagles. That's on their greatest hits album. That's peaceful, easy feelings. Done, kind of goofy. You know i mean it's it's recognizable probably for them now this is not a Christian song, but it's one of the earliest examples we've got of what the sound would have been like at the time of the early church as the Greek influence starts weighing into the church more and more and so i'm going to play it for you um uh, here it is in uh, uh written out this i've I've put in the English letters for the Greek sound um, so you don't have to read the Greek letters but you can kind of follow along you'll also hear it's being played with the kithara, that harp that I was talking about that's talked about in Revelation or the lyre you can hear how the one note sounds along with the melody itself and then I'm going to translate it as it goes along with uh, uh, the blue line that you can read in the PowerPoint so if you'll play cut number two please Mike you can hear As long as you live, be lighthearted, let nothing trouble you. Life is too short and time takes its toll. That's the song that they put on the tombstone. Now, the earliest Christian, non-biblical hymn that we have, and I say non-biblical because we, we, we have hymns in the Bible. But if you want to find a Christian hymn outside the Bible, the earliest we've got is from the Ocarynchus papyri. Ocarincus is a town in southern Egypt where in the early 1900s they made this huge finding of all this papyri, all this uh, uh, um, uh, paper with writing on it that dates back uh, uh, to the early Christian era. And fragment number 1786, this is it. That's a, a ruler to kind of show you how long it is. It's so, oh, I don't know, 24 inches long or so. And it's got a Christian hymn. It's also got the musical notations because it was being played with an instrument. And this Christian hymn is the earliest one we've got outside the Bible. Late 200s is as late as it is. Some scholars place it earlier. I don't have time today, but where we'll start out next week, God willing, is I will play you this as it's being performed by a fellow who's a graduate student at the University of Sussex in England and has actually rebuilt the instrument to play it with it. It's a fascinating play. But here's what it says. It says, Let it be silent. Let the luminous star... Sorry, that's a typo. It should not say start. It should say star. Let the luminous star not shine. Let the winds... We believe it's missing a couple of the letters. And all the noisy rivers die down. And as we hymn... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit gee that 's awfully incredible. you know a lot of scholars will tell you the Trinity didn 't exist until uh, what 's Dan Brown say Dan Brown uh, in, you know in his goofy book, um, yeah, you know he says the Church made that up a few hundred years later. I guess he hasn 't done his research um As we hymn the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let all the powers add, amen, amen. Empire, praise always, and glory to God, the soul giver of good things, amen, amen. Oldest Christian hymn we've got outside the Bible. Now, if we look at the early Christian writings on music, they're fascinating. Ignatius of Antioch, who was the fellow that I told you about a minute ago when I added the comments about Ephesus and singing in unity. He also said, your church harmonizes with the bishop as completely as the strings with a harp. In other words, he's praising the Ephesian church because they're tuned into their pastor. They're they're all playing together. They're they're in the same key. All right. Um, He goes on to say, oh, I put it in here. By your unity, taking your keynote that should be from God you may with one voice through Jesus Christ sing a song to the Father. Talking about that unity in diversity. Clement of Alexandria, by the time we get into the 200s, the church is not too... uh, Part of the church is not too fond of instruments. And part of the church says instruments are the work of the devil. And that's what you have in the houses of ill repute. And unless, you know, to play an instrument in church is to act like a prostitute. And so by the 200s, late 200s, early 300s, they're starting to distance themselves from any concept of an instrument in church in in some geographical areas of Christendom. So Clement of Alexandria says, plucking strings is godless. The sound of the flute's erotic. It just leads to dancing, drunkenness, and every sort of trash. Now, it's interesting to read his writings because he has to also, he writes commentaries on the Old Testament where you've got all these instruments being used. But Clement of Alexandria, if you'll recall and go back in church history, if you were in here for those classes, he was the guy that took all of the Old Testament and turned it into allegories. And so he'd say, you know, well, the instruments that are being talked about are not real instruments. That's just a a representation of the soul or the body or the spirit or whatever he might want to say. Um, if you go back to the Eastern part of Christianity, Basil, who was one of the Cappadocian fathers that we studied in 375, he's got some fascinating things to write about. And he writes about music a lot. He says that singing psalms will settle your troublesome thoughts. He says that singing songs will take away your anger. Your soul's wrath. He says that singing songs will create friendships and camaraderie as you do it together. He's a big proponent of doing this. And he, and he talks about how wonderful it is and how his monks under his tutelage sing quite a bit. But it's very interesting to read what he says. Because he says when you sing, you need to be singing those old melodies. Don't sing this newfangled music. He says, beware of the wicked contemporary sounds. Use the older music. Okay? That new stuff, (laughs) bad, bad, bad. Of course, to our ear, the difference between the old and the new to him, we can't tell because it all sounds alike. I don't know what he would have done with deep purple. (laughs) Next week. We're going to be playing a lot of hymns because as we move into the early church, we've got a lot of sounds, so there'll be more playing and less talking, but we had to get the groundwork and understand the biblical foundation. Next week, we're going to talk about where do, re, mi, fa, la, ti, do comes from. Give you a hint. Guido. Yeah, no, not the sound of music. Um, points for home. Songs are powerful tools. Will you please use them right? If it's a powerful tool for God, it can be a powerful tool for the enemy. Let's be mature enough, and let's pray our children grow up quickly mature enough to understand that that makes a difference. Paul says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Whatever talents he's given you, you got talents to sing, you got talents to play an instrument, you got whatever you've got, you do it in Jesus' name. But whatever you feed yourself. My mom used to tell our kids when they were growing up, yeah, you can feed yourself garbage spiritually. But you should not want to do that any more than you want to go eat garbage physically. Because it affects who you are. Um, Use songs to encourage each other. Someone's down. I had a daughter call me recently. Dad, I'm just depressed. I couldn't go be with her. She was in California. But I was able to say, hey, you got some good music that you like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, go eat some chocolate and listen to that. (laughs) She said it helped. (laughs) Paul said it this way. Do not get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Final point for home. Arm yourself with good Christian music for times of need. There are going to be days where you need it. You know, David has danger. Don't you know he could sing that Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I mean, he's got it right there. Find Christian music that will minister to you that will be there in times of need. You want to pray for someone? David had it. Boy, he had a song to pray for someone. Psalm 20. It's a beautiful song of prayer for someone. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. Grant your support from Zion. Give you the desires of your heart. Make your plans succeed. We'll shout for joy when you're victorious. We'll lift up our banners in the name of our God. May God grant all your requests. Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. But we'll trust in the name of the Lord our God. And what a wonderful prayer. You know, get yourself these things you will need them some days okay would you pray with me lord i pray that your hand your spirit will be on our class as we work through the way you minister in music to us and the way we use music and praise and worship to you it is my humble prayer father that somehow through the teaching in this class the resources that we can bring to bear, that you will help gird your people with a conviction to take what you've given us that stirs our emotions, that stirs our hearts, that stirs our minds and our memories and our moods, that you will take that and somehow help us grow to use it to your glory, not only in our lives but in the lives of our families and our friends and our world. Thank you for the talents you've given everybody in here and I pray that they will all find ways to use them and exercise them in your glory, whether musical or not. In Jesus we pray these things. Amen.